0: Um, but I think really where I've seen change be made is just really looking at all of the policies, your organizational structure, where your um, what your employee value proposition is and where you're seeking talent and really actively looking at that with an intersectional lens so that you're thinking about the most marginalized and um, stigmatized communities and, and seeing if you are um, attractive to those communities and making changes from there.
1: Kia ora, I'm Troy, here as CEO and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today we're talking with Jordan Ackhurst, who is a social change leader with a track record for delivering strategies, programs and projects that foster inclusion, transformation and collaboration. Jordan, can you just give us a little bit of background on your work experience in the area of diversity and inclusion and what you've been doing more recently?
0: Sure. So um, my name's Jordan Ackhurst. My pronouns are she, her, um, and I've been working in equity, diversity and inclusion for about eight or nine years now, uh, mostly in um, education. Um, I was the manager of the diversity inclusion function of the University of Queensland, which is a, a global top 50 university, um, and led all of the programming policy and strategy there. At the moment, I'm in New York City, Uh, And I'm the lead diversity, equity, inclusion and anti-racism person at a network of 15 charter schools that are K-12 public schools uh, located in Brooklyn. Um, And I was the first person to hold this role at this organisation. So it's been a lot about building the foundations of that work and really working to integrate it into everything that we do. My background is in social change. I've got a master's in social change. And before moving into this field of work, I started my career in journalism, marketing and communication.
1: Cool. That's pretty impressive. Um, one of the things that Hira has been focusing on, or, or a couple of areas that Hera has been focusing on is trying to get more women into STEM and more Maori into STEM. So in terms of diversity and inclusion, that's been where our focus is, has been. Um, But obviously there are a lot more issues um, and areas of diversity that we have not had a focus on. And and disabilities is one that is kind of becoming um, more prevalent in my own mind because of my work on Hanga Aroro and the Workforce Development Council's focus on um, trying to engage more with students who've been typically left out of uh, vocational education or kind of not included as much as they should have been. Um, But can you give us a bit more information around some of the issues that people with disabilities might experience? Um, And then also maybe we can have a bit more of a discussion around the other aspects of diversity that we need to be more conscious of and how do we actually understand and engage in, in those areas as well?
0: Sure. So people with disability are, is a community that is one of the most underserved communities in employment um, due to the social stigma and marginalisation of people with disabilities. So there's a very common misconception that people with disability are unable to, to work full-time or unable to work in different industries, and that could not be further than the truth. Um, it's really our social structures, um, our digital structures, our physical structures, that are prohibiting people with disabilities being able to be gainfully employed in all different um, industries and roles and organisations. And I think a lot of it comes from the, the way that you know many, many of our societies are built, but it also comes from the stories that are told about people with disability and the many um, myths and biases that exist um, against people from those communities that are you know based that are just myths that, that aren't based on fact and so a lot of the work around diversity and inclusion measures uh, targeted for people with disability is about disrupting those myths and biases but also really analyzing or applying an access lens accessibility lens to um, our, Social structures, like as, aspects of society, um, the, the building facilities, and importantly, our digital infrastructure that we often don't think about as being exclusionary to people with disabilities. Um, when we think about diversity, equity, inclusion more broadly and other communities that are often left out of a conversation or, or thought about, um, you know, after we kind of think about women um, and other communities. <clears throat> I always think it's quite interesting because I I try and take an it's kind of a both end approach where we need to be thinking about whole individuals and whole communities because none of us just have one identity um, and so if we only think about women or we only think about multi or we only think about people with disability then we aren't properly disrupting all of the barriers. That a Maori woman with a disability might be experiencing in accessing employment. We need to be thinking about the the whole person and all aspects of people's identities, while at the same time acknowledging that there are specific barriers and challenges that different uh, communities experience, and we need to actively have programs and targeted efforts to disrupt those. And so um, there are there are different. Areas of focus in different contexts, but I think broadly, uh, people with disability and LGBTQIA plus communities are ones that are often that second tier when we think about diversity and inclusion. Um, and I think that's really important to think about with that intersectional lens so that we're really focusing on and seeing the whole person and valuing the whole person.
1: Mm-hmm. And just on that, in terms of intersectionality, how what are some like practical ways that an employer, for example, can start to think about um, their employees more holistically and in terms of that intersectionality that you, you were just talking about where, um, you know, we're very typically able to address single issues but we don't really think about that, um, the aspects where there's overlap and conflicting and competing and even sometimes maybe complementary aspects to a person that you know is more complex to address.
0: Yeah I think as humans we find it really really hard to think about things Or particularly in white dominant cultures we find it really difficult to think about things flexibly and take things out of these neat categories and boxes that we find more comfortable and so I think it, it often starts with reflecting on on yourself as a leader what your own experiences are and where your biases might be and starting to disrupt that, um, do that self-reflection and that self-education work to be able to translate that into your management and leadership practices so that you are creating and fostering an environment that is inclusive and accessible to to everybody. I think one example of, of how of how to embed um, equity and inclusion into your workplace, um, putting all of what all of those um, ideas together, is if you worked with your recruitment team to look at your um, the wording on your job advertisements. What are the selection criteria there, and how are they? How is there potentially ableist language or language that maybe? Um, exclusionary and not really speaking to the core aspects of the job, um, looking at the digital aspects of that of the website that you're posting um, to ensure that it's compliant with the web content accessibility guidelines so that people who are using screen readers and other assistive technologies can access the information on that web page mm-hmm. and ensuring that the selection um, form or um, However, you're asking people to apply for the job uh, is compliant with those guidelines as well and is consistent with assessing um, skills and knowledge that you really need for that job rather than describing the person that you think that that, that job should hold. Um, and then when you go through the interview process, ensuring that you ha- you're you having opportunities for folks to uh, reach out if they need an accommodation, uh, like ensuring that the um, building where the interview is being held is um, accessible for someone in a wheelchair, ensuring that any, if any preparation is needed, that folks are given that in advance to limit anxiety or allowing people who process in different ways to have that information available to them um, with time to prepare. And ensuring that everybody on the interview team has undergone some kind of um, bias awareness uh, and inclusive recruitment um, training so that they're aware of the way that they show up in the interview room to ensure that they're making the person with the disability able to perform in as their best self um, and not having to put on a mask or perform in a way that could be distracting and not enable them to put them, their best self forward. Um, but I think really where I've seen change be made is just really looking at all of the policies, your organisational structure, where you're, um, what your employee value proposition is and where you're seeking talent and really actively looking at that with an intersectional lens so that you're thinking about the most marginalised and um, stigmatised communities and and seeing if you are um, attractive to those communities and making changes from there. Um, And I think one of the biggest, biggest things that employers can do uh, is have flexible work options available to to staff because so many barriers and challenges can be addressed just by having flexibility in the workplace um, and having policies that enable that, that are people centered so that people can see themselves working in that organization.
1: Mm -hmm. So in terms of flexibility, obviously, one of the things that's changed due to COVID is that there's been such an immense um, appreciation that allowing staff to work more flexibly doesn't necessarily mean that there's a drop in productivity. Um, Do you see that there are changes as a result? Is this created? Is this kind of like, Um, a first wave of looking at things differently as a result of um, managing the the impacts of the pandemic? I think that's an interesting question because I think it's
0: very industry specific. So, for example, I work in K-12 public schools and we're all back in person and have been since May and flexibility where there was some flexibility, more flexibility Pandemic, there's a little bit less at the moment as we start to try and rebuild a culture of in person working. And I think once that culture is settled, then things may change again. But I think what I'm seeing in the US is a very quick draw to return to normal and make people feel like things are normal again, rather than taking this as an opportunity to uh, reset, realign, and, and do things differently. Um, but I, I do agree. I like there's industries and organizations, uh, industries that I've worked in where I have been told, you know, not all roles could be flexible in that industry. And the pandemic has proved that that's untrue. And every role has be, become flexible. So I think, you know, I would really encourage all managers and leaders to be really thinking about the way that they, you know, return to the office or start to rebuild their. Their team uh, culture uh, uh, once the pandemic, once this next phase of the pandemic transitions, and hopefully once the pandemic ends.
1: Mm. Yeah, doesn't seem to be any end in sight though at the moment, no. does it? <laughs> um, you have coined a term, disability courageous, and even presented on that at Harvard. Can you run us through what you mean there and how that is relevant to employers?
0: Sure. So. In Australia, uh, and it it actually came from the UK, the standard paradigm for disability inclusion is a phrase called disability confident. And that that was started in the UK in 2013 and is a part of an employment program there that has then been adopted in many different countries. And we, at the organisation I was working at, we started striving to be a disability confident organisation um, which was really just about raising awareness and, you know, just talking about disability inclusion, but it wasn't enough. And so when it came to create the next iteration of our strategy and our plan, I was thinking about what, what we really needed to change in order to really make make the workplace a safe, accessible and inclusive place for people with disability and that's where I came up with the phrase or the, the vision for a disability courageous organization, which shifted the focus from just acceptance and, and tolerance um, and an almost deficit approach to uh, people with disability as being something that was nice to have as a rather and not something that was actively disrupting the social barriers that were preventing people from participating in the workplace. So disability courageous. Uh, organizations would strive to, you know, be courageous in the decisions that they make related to promotion and hiring. Um, Be courageous in the partnerships that they're making with disability community organizations so that disability uh, communities are have an active uh, voice in leading organisational policies um, and structures related to disability so that we're actively applying the principles of nothing about us without us, so that the policies and decisions weren't made for people with disability, they were informed by and led by people with disability, and that it really is not so much just a social movement of education and awareness, which is where Disability Confident originated from, it's a social movement that um, strives to create change in systems and structures uh, that that are prohibiting people with disability from participating fully in
1: employment. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, we've got a diversity policy, but even when we created the diversity and inclusion policy, we didn't really engage with any of the um groups that would be typically underrepresented or underserved. Um, we've kind of just assumed that we know what is best. Yeah. Um, so how can employers, especially in STEM disciplines, better engage with people with disabilities and make their workforce more inclusive? Do you have some practical advice there?
0: Yeah, I think partnering. There's there's lots of community-based organisations that are focused on disability, uh, employing um, people with disability, and I think creating partnerships with those organisations to create pathway programs for people with disability is a really great first step. It's a good first step for lots of reasons. It gets people, um, gives people the opportunity to engage in your workplace, uh, and will help to disrupt some of the myths and biases that exist against people with disability uh, because you'll have people working in your workplace and people will be able to see and experience firsthand what it's like to work with someone with disability um, and you'll also be able i also be able to partner with those organizations to ensure that your you know policies and your um facilities are accessible for people with disability i think the other thing that you can some other things that you can do is really continue to educate yourselves there's a lot there's lots of um Free programs through universities on disability inclusion uh, through LinkedIn. You can do lots of different short courses to kind of raise your own awareness and identify your own biases. And I think really reviewing your policies and your um, particularly your policies around leave, promotion, and recruitment um, with a lens of accessibility to identify any areas where you where your organization may unintentionally be. Inaccessible for people with disability, Um, and that will help identify where those areas of focus are that you can lean in to
1: create change. Mm -hmm. And like I kind of hate asking this question, but um, we there are always people in the audience who kind of need to have this answer. But what are the benefits for employers, and what are the broader social benefits?
0: Yeah, there are there are endless benefits for employing people with disability. Um, I'm you know I'm sure. Most people by now are relatively familiar with the business case for diversity in that a diverse team increases productivity and innovation. And that is certainly true when you have uh, folks with disability on your team. People with disability research shows are much more loyal to an organization and have a much higher retention rate. I think it's almost double the retention rate of folks with non without a disability when they're working in an organisation that is inclusive and um, enables them to participate fully, um, and I think it also you know almost twenty percent of the um of your community has a has a disability and so ensuring that your team is reflective of your clients and your customer base and the communities that you serve is very important to ensure that the work that you're doing is meeting the needs of the of the communities that you're serving and that your customers and your clients can see themselves reflected um, in the work that you do
1: do you think that the the challenges and i guess the approach taken by employers is universal or is it country specific and do you see any um, like best case examples or best practice examples where there is much better inclusion I think I think there's excuse me my experience
0: it's um, a bit of both in that there are some similarities um, in terms of the broad social stigma and the facilities and um technical infrastructure that can um exclude people with disability i find that very similar in most of the western world in my experience but then there are very um industry specific or um community like different contexts that have different um or unique barriers and challenges that need to be considered as well so i I think it's a both End, but I think really when you like peel back all the layers even where there are differences at its core the reasons that people with disability are excluded from the workplace are grounded in the same same reasoning which is just misunderstanding um, a, and a, and stereotypes and stigmatization against people with disability. Um, mm. in terms of where I've seen best practice, I, I think the, the UK has had a long-standing disability employment program um, that provides training to organisations, that provides different accreditation to ensure there's accountability uh, and enables people with disability to make informed choices about employers that they um, choose to access and provides funding for any adjustments that might be need, need to be made in the workplace, and that has many positive impacts. At the University of Queensland, where I worked, we had some great um, systems, systems and structures being put in place to really enhance um, the inclusion of people with disability. We had a disability inclusion group that reported through senior members of the organisation to the university senate, which is the equivalent to a board. Um, so they had... You know quite high level governance and um, oversight there and the disability inclusion group was led by people with disability um, and was a partnership with um, staff and students with disability and key organizational areas of the organization, uh, HR facilities, uh, IT, student services to inform the work that was being done to ensure that it was accessible and inclusive of people with disability. And the changes that that group were making were making real strides and creating change and ensuring that the voices of people with disability were informing the changes that were being made and was the the best possible outcomes for them. We also had a partnership with Vision Australia that created a pathway program for uh, people with vision impairments to access employment opportunities across across the university. And we retained. We we had around six um, trainees come through, and we would retain, on average, like eighty to ninety percent of those staff each year. And so we were really creating, um, like a good number of people with disability, to um, create more of a community, uh, so that the, the people felt more connected and included. Um, I think I think in the US I have seen less less active steps around disability in, in my, lim- like I'd say, pretty limited experience, but I think it's starting to become more and more part of the conversation, more at people's forefront, and so I'm excited to see the change that will be coming um, in the near future as, you know, equity, inclusion and diversity is really becoming front of mind in a way that it hasn't you know, 10 years ago, we wouldn't be having the same conversation. And so I think it's really exciting to hear how um, disability inclusion is being actively considered in different ways.
1: Mm. One of the things I'm really interested in is like having this lens to see things in a different way. Um, and in, in the example I would give is that um, for me, for example, becoming more conscious around the importance of Māori and how our digital systems like you were talking about earlier um, can ex- exclude, be exclusionary inadvertently. So, for example, um, systems, uh, online systems that don't allow the use of macrons, then mm-hmm. essentially meaning that Norea Māori is, is by default not being expressed correctly. Um, I'm really interested in how, how do people develop a lens, and how have you personally? um Because I, I the reason why I'm interested is that I think we've we've grown up, and people in the audience won't know this, but we're we're related, so we're cousins, and we grew <laughs> up in very small town parts of Australia. And yet, I feel like it was kind of instilled as part of us to have a lens or trying to see how other people were experiencing the world and trying to understand and I guess hold space for them. What do you think it is that takes people on a journey to open their eyes to these issues? Like what is it inherently that we need to change within people and where does that change start?
0: <laughs> so it's a big question. But I think a lot of it is kind of what I was saying before around awareness and that's why those pathway programs can be so important because it gives people the experience of working with people with disability or people with um different identities that they may not have encountered in their own lives. And that lived experience of engaging with difference ultimately is what can help change people's mindsets and then people's behaviour. And so I think it really is about awareness and education is key. But I also think that as humans we're we're prone to slipping into what we're used to when we're stressed and when we're busy Uh, and so i think having systems and policies in place to add safeguard rails to ensure that we're always thinking about inclusion equity and diversity is really really important and the approach i take in as a practitioner is equipping managers and leaders with a lens tool that has several questions to always be asking yourself in terms of how how is this decision or this approach going to foster equity, diversity, and inclusion? And if you can't answer that, then think about what you might need to change to ensure that the outcome that you're driving is equitable and inclusive for all people. Thinking about whose voices and experiences you've considered in that decision or that structure or that policy that you're creating. And if you haven't, um, if you've created that in a room by yourself, Or with your usual leadership team, where are there opportunities for you to engage other folks with different experiences um, and different identities to ensure that, you know, you're being able to look at this from different perspectives? Because one person, that's the value of diversity. One person can never, ever come up with the best solution. We need different um, perspectives and ideas in order to have the best possible outcome and solution. And I think the the other question that I often put in these tools is like, what barriers and challenges haven't you considered that this policy um, may unintentionally create? So often when we're, we're coming up with something that we think is going to make something easier, if we haven't considered those first two questions, there may be other barriers that we can't, uh, that we may not have thought about unless we think sit down and think about it from a different perspective.
1: Mm-hmm. And in terms of, you know, so I guess some people inherently um, who may not have been exposed to diversity and 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 therefore may not even understand inclusivity, the importance of it. How how do we overcome those issues? Is is it really what you're saying? Is that um, by experiencing it, that's how um, the mindset change will happen? I think
0: that's one. That's one of the fastest ways. I think the others. I think the other is around more education and bias awareness and just, uh, um, learning and engaging with different communities. And I think, um, really, I think it's that systems change that really creates, creates change in people's perspectives because they have to interact in that way. And it becomes a culture in the organization. Uh, and so it's, um, just becomes the way that you do things rather than an, an extra something you have to think about or a nice-to-have because I think really we're trying to unpack centuries of um, marginalisation and, and stereotypes and so I think if we're really, like, I do think to some extent mindset shifts takes that translates to behaviour shifts is, is a slow-going process and so I think we need more support for folks who haven't, who don't have that lived experience or haven't experienced um, difference before, we need to have those safeguards in place uh, and those structures in place to support that change, which which will lead to that mindset and behavioural change because it's set up that way.
1: So there you go. Thanks for joining our conversation with Jordan today. If you'd like to connect more with her, you'll find her details in the show notes. This was a really inspiring talk and reminds me of something that Stephen Hawking once said, however difficult life may seem, there is always something you can do and succeed at. I think we can do more to help everyone succeed. Food for thought till we see you next time. So hit subscribe and if you liked what you heard today, please like, review or share with any middle heads you know. Let's spread the word. You may be interested to join our HR Innovation Cluster It explores a whole range of HR related aspects so that as an industry, we can ensure that we have the right skills and mindset to create a strong workforce. To find out more, you'll find my details in the show notes.